This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Political documentary in a post-truth world. Um, and I'm very pleased uh, to welcome uh, to the stage Nicola Harvey, Managing Editor of BuzzFeed Australia. Uh, Dr Anna Bronowski, filmmaker and maker of the, uh, the fascinating documentary about uh, Pauline Hanson, um, that we will see a little bit of uh, later on. Uh, Basically, I think the purpose of this session is for Anna and Nicola to get into a really serious fight um, between long form and short form. And that's basically what I will be. I'm I'm sort of like the opposite of a moderator. I'll be an immoderator. I'll be trying to whip up that division. Um, And and, and at some point, Matt uh, Davies may may have to step in in the middle uh, in a way that sort of reflects his... His role, uh, Matt's a journalist and filmmaker, um, has worked on shows like uh, Foreign Correspondent in particular and has had um, some fascinating experiences um, bringing together tr- long-form documentary and also you know, bolt-out-of-the-blue uh, lightning viral videos. Uh, and, and that's really what one of the things that we're going to talk about in, in today's session. Um, you may have seen from the, the outline that one of the questions we're going to answer is how do we ensure the integrity of uh, storytelling in our post-truth world? We'll probably spend about three or four minutes on that once we've got that knocked off. Um, <laughs> um, we'll move on to other things like the, uh, the connection between social media and political documentary and I suppose the way that this um, omnipresent phrase viral video can work uh, for and, and perhaps against um, short and long-form video journalism. Uh, the session goes for an hour. Uh, there will be a, a sort of block of questions uh, at the end, but we're going to try and stop throughout um, after you know, the panel has had a chat on each particular topic. And so if you'd like to ask a question at that point, um, please feel free. We'll sort of signal that someone will come to you with a microphone. Please keep your questions. That We don't really need the full biographical history and the details of your thesis and all those sorts of things before the question, uh, but questions most welcome and we're really keen to open up the discussion. So with that in mind, um, let's plough on. And I thought um, we should begin with a little bit of definitional work because we're talking about political documentary. Um, And I wanted to ask everyone on, on the panel, what's your understanding of that phrase? What is a political documentary and also can you tell us about some of the the works that stand out to you as the, as, as the best examples of whatever it is political documentary is um, uh, Anna do you want to start off there? Uh, yeah <clears throat> sure well to me and I, I might as well just get the the boxing gloves on and running why not um, political documentary is propaganda Uh, There's three types of propaganda. There's grey propaganda, there's propaganda for the good, um, and I'm sure most people in this room would like to feel they're on that side, and then there's propaganda for power, uh, manipulative propaganda. Look at the First World War, Second World War, and Trump's banning of the press from the White House press briefing lately and what's happening there. So for me, um, if political documentary is a form of propaganda in that it's trying to persuade your viewers to come to a point of view that the filmmaker believes in and thereby somehow incite change, 
then there are many ways to do it. And the ones that stand out for me perhaps don't work now, but they did then. And the key one for me is Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9-11, which basically at the time brought feature docs back into the cinema and was a blockbuster. Um, and then on the other side, you have propaganda against Michael Moore that came out at the same time from the right because they realised how powerful this medium is and that was Michael Moore as a big, fat, stupid white man. Um, yeah, that's, that'll get it rolling. Great answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so inherently you believe that uh, political documentary is not just about agenda setting but it is pushing an agenda. That there's absolutely. A, yep. I mean, filmmaking is manipulative. You can't avoid that and you're dishonest if you don't think it is. It is. And so if you're making a political documentary, use these tools, humour, seduction, entertainment, to persuade your audience to a point of view, as long as it's truthful. Okay, and so, and so what was your agenda in making the, um, the Hanson Oh, look, it failed dismally. I mean, we wanted, to, we wanted to make a film that would attract Pauline's supporters as much as her detractors, and that worked. I mean, SBS, it beat all time slot expectations um, for SBS that night, and in fact put SBS up against the commercials, which was rare. So that worked. But unfortunately, even though we tried really hard, and I think this is worth unpicking, um, to show her supporters and detractors all sides of what it was that had made her change Australia and come back again with a, a vengeance. There were very few people we converted over mm. either side. So her supporters watched it, tuning into SBS for the first time, many of them, and filled the screen with emoticons. We love you, Pauline. Marry me, Pauline. God, you rock. Um, and her detractors said, I can't believe I'm watching this. It's like a train wreck. So um, that's still a work in progress, Julian. Yeah. Like, how the hell do we convert people that don't agree with us? Well, th and that's interesting. Um, is that something that you feel is the case more today than in the past, that it's, it's harder to convert people? Absolutely, because we're living in a world now where um, Daniel Patrick Moynihan's statement, everyone's entitled to their own opinions but not to their own facts, no longer applies. People treat their opinions as facts how the hell do you convert that kind of audience? And, you know, I'm sure mm. that Nicola and Matt have ideas yeah. about that Can too. Can I jump in on Yeah, that? please do. I'll, um, I'll come I'm kind of curious about that idea of converting. Is my mic on? Can you hear me? Can um, everyone hear, hear what Nicola? What we okay. are interested no? in. No? A bit closer. Let's see. Just tap it. How's that? Better. Yeah. Better. Um, I just want to go back to that idea of converting by a political documentary because we uh, at BuzzFeed obviously make short video um, and we make short video for the uh, social networks, particularly Facebook at the moment. And what we are trying to do is find a space where there is a civil conversation, civil as in civil duty, but also you know, maintaining some kind of decorum. And so it's less for us about persuasion and more about just opening up conversation. And I think um, for us that is a way to engage with our younger audience, especially BuzzFeed has, uh, you know, bulk of our audience in Australia is 18 to 24. They are young, they are really politically engaged, they want to know more, they want to have a conversation. Uh, so what we're trying to do with video is actually find the space for civil conversation and you know, it's not working really very yeah. often because what we see in social media, as everyone knows, is uh, this polar opposite debate of, you know, the extreme left mm. and right going at each other without much understanding of a common ground or much desire to find it. 
by, by politically engaged, the BuzzFeed audience is politically engaged, do you mean they're already left-wing? <laughs> no, quite, quite seriously. No, because, no, you know, that's a that, really that, interesting that, yeah. point, though. No, um, I think in Australia especially we've seen a really uh, robust uh, group of followers in our um, BuzzFeed Oz poll page. Yep. Um, and that's off the back of two very big personalities, our political editor and our political reporter, Mark Stefano and Alice Workman have brought with them a very, very fiery young liberal base. Not because they're friends with them, they just, you know, people love to take mm. pot shots at Mark um, and they think he's a closet Tory. And so that sort of brought in an audience who feel very much at home to, to debate and unpack some what we would consider perhaps right-wing ideology. Uh, in general, BuzzFeed is a progressive media company and we're not going to shy from that. Uh, we are objective in what we do as much as possible. You know, we are uphold some um, very high journalistic standards. Uh, but we take some positions and, you know, we're not uh, shy about coming out in our support for LGBT rights, trans rights especially, uh, and that's where we're seeing the political engagement. We have a lot of supporters make, being very vocal about trans rights at mm -hmm. the moment. Um, and do you have any metrics on, on whether you do actually manage to change people's minds from the, these sorts of videos? Can, can you, is that something you can track? No. Uh, what we can track, though, is uh, how a story gains traction. And right. I'm sort of leapfrogging ahead because we might yeah. get to this a little yeah, bit later. Yeah. But what we did see was a really deep investment in the Standing Rock uh, story in Dakota. Mm. Um, and from the first time that I can remember, a really deep interest in what was happening in terms of um, First Nations people's struggle against government. Okay. Yeah. And we saw that over time of three months gain traction. Every single week we were going back with another story and it was ballooning. Interesting, so, yeah. interesting. Okay, well, um, let's, um, let's go back uh, to you, Matt. You've, you've heard Anna say that um, political documentary is propaganda. Um, the propaganda that you've made for our independent <laughs> national broadcaster uh, uh, at Foreign Correspondent. For the good, for the good. For the good, yeah. But w w do you endorse that view that political documentary is inherently propagandistic? I guess I sit in a... Where I sit with my work is it's slightly different in that I am working with the ABC and we've got our chart editorial policies and so on. But We have to pretend, that's true. <laughs> but my, my take on it is that Foreign is a unique beast um, in its various formats over the years, but what I feel and those who have come forward would agree is that we're, we're taking a news cycle issue perhaps or a, a, an issue that is not necessarily getting a lot of air time and trying to take it on and give people a deeper understanding of what that is. It might be something maternal deaths in Papua New Guinea that no one's covering that we've decided that's worth doing a half an hour program on because we're next door to Papua New Guinea and people should be made aware that that is an issue. Just Australian aid funding goes there. Women are dying at one of the highest rates in the world in childbirth. In Australia, it's completely opposite, one of the safest countries. I then, but I guess perhaps one of the stories that's been, that continues to resonate is how coverage of the Black Lives Matter issue, which we'll get to a bit mm. later as well, which in its roots is an extremely viral social media, video, iPhone-driven kind of political movement. But if you left it at that, it was a very polarising news issue, depending on who you tune into. So our idea or our role there as a political documentary maker was to go there and to hear from all sides of that story and present a piece, a body of work that, you know, was relevant. It's important. It has... My, my work is all internationally based at this point and we try to find a hook 
for those international issues that are relevant here in Australia. We have issues here with police and Indigenous Australians and others and there are an incarceration. So there were there are often crossovers with what I do and I think that's part of it is that continuing to show Australian audiences that there are issues that we are relevant to us. They're also occurring in other parts of the world and we can all learn by, you know, watching political documentary um, in its various lengths. So in that sense, um, the way that political documentary can change minds is just by raising topics Bring that it might not to the service, otherwise making be it a on conversation. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then, you know, uh, Nicola just mentioned Standing Rock. Like our characters from our program met on that process through that filming and mm. became, they organised the Standing Rock, the veteran stand, and, you know, a couple of months later. So it was just, it's a curious beast when you're out there in, the, in this political space. You're, you're asking people to give their views on issues. You're, you're going to people's lives often challenging, desperate people, they're sharing things with you. And, yeah, it, it, for, if, if I can bring that into someone's lounge room and that stirs some kind of debate about Australian politics or internationally speaking, then I feel like that is, that's adding to that discourse. It's political documentary. Maybe that goes some way to answer your first question, which is, you know, what we consider political documentary mm. at the moment. Um, and while, you know, Michael Moore's films were influential... And, you know, we have these amazing characters like Pauline Hanson and the Wiener documentary. That was mm-hmm. fabulous. Uh, what we are seeing is political documentary but being driven by uh, characters who are not on the world stage, mm. who are not the big personalities. Yeah, and it, it's curious to keep in mind this post-truth phenomenon, which is where we started on this conversation, because I've just come out of Venezuela, and that's uh, particularly interesting. I mean, that's a popular story, it's a la Trump, but the one grab in the interview is that Latin America wrote the playbook on what Trump's doing now. And there is this, if we subscribe to the idea of post-truth as filmmakers, then I'm, I think we're, we're losing it. We're, we're out there with our cameras and our, we're talking to real people. That's our role. It is to find that truth despite the, the madness and the amount of oxygen that Trump gets on those sort of issues. Mm. Now, I completely agree with that. I think to, for us to all jump onto this post-truth phase is incredibly dangerous the status quo, the leaders, the people in power want it to be a post-truth yeah. truth phase. All the more reason for us mm. to stick by the truth. And, and I have to say that the act of... Um, look, you, I know you won't be persuaded, but I, I believe that you are both using propagandistic tools for the good. You, by avoiding censorship by omission, you are giving airspace and mainstream airspace to voices that are not heard, and that in itself is a political sure, act. Sure. And you are using BuzzFeed brilliantly... I might add, humour, which is a very persuasive tool Mm. to get young audiences to engage with serious issues. So the top ten what-the-fuck moments of the Hanson doco that you guys ran added to the ripple effect this kind of postmodern digital eco-chamber that that happened around that film. And you know what? We're just not going to have a fight because they really helped us. I'm really disappointed. With our film, I'm sorry, but they were brilliant. Like Mm. BuzzFeed brought a whole new level of engagement to the Hanson doc on top of the, I don't know, 450, uh, I can't remember how many people watched it, 450,000 or whatever, plus the 180,000 people that tuned in not into the film but to Pauline Hanson sitting in a chair doing nothing for 72 minutes, live streaming herself on Facebook. It's like racist goggle box. Watching the film, exactly. Racist goggle box, but in mime. Like, Mm. she didn't really say anything. Yeah, actually, and should we we have a a quick look at that? This is is about as meta as you can get. This is Pauline Hanson watching (laughs) Anna's Pauline Hanson documentary, and I really hope, Anna, that you will live stream this event watching all this happen. So... 
Let's go a little bit into a little bit more detail on the role of social media. Then, I mean, in the in the old days, I'm sure Michael Moore had promos running in other um, cinemas with the select grabs of his doco as a way of trying to get people to to buy tickets. Um, is that fundamentally what uh, you guys, in particular, use social media for? Is it just basically a new technology of promo? Can it be something different? Should it be something different? Uh, uh, I, 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 I was going to talk a, a, a little bit more on our, the way we're confronting that hmm. digital with that with Freedom Rider, surely. But I will say yeah. that social media, I mean, look, we if an issue is popping in the, the BuzzFeed space and in other, the, the, the short-form space that we can latch on to and, and drive um, audience from that, then that's, a, that's an absolute bonus. Um, so you're saying that when you put excerpts of your content out or you're saying you we, look we, at what's we, happening we, in the social in social media and go let's do yeah issues that are issues that are already out there if we harness that social conversation in a long form in a, in a longer form version it does drive people to our programming i mean tradition at the moment uh, foreign correspondent is, is mostly a broadcast delivery um mm. but increasingly the the move is to the digital frontier and increasingly where you know i'm we're creating content that is specifically for social and distributing that in, in a very unorthodox ABC approach, that is to digital platforms and third-party platforms. Do the, do the foreign correspondents that rate the highest on free-to-air television also go the best on social? No. What's the difference? Probably the, the audience age demographic, I right. would say. So yeah. we have our traditional broadcast, broadcast audience is a, is a lot older um, and the digital space is obviously a lot younger. So we're talking about quite different. And one of my challenges has been to work out how the style and the, 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 the flavour of the, the rhythm of the program to mm. attract what is the brief to find this, you know, miracle audience that exists out there but are hard to tap into. In some way that is the challenge for the ABC, isn't it? It's, it's sort of um, cradle and grave, not cradle to grave, and that's what to do in the middle. In the middle, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. look, take an issue like Black Lives Matter is a, it, like something like, again, I'll, I'll go on about that one because it's a good case. That's an issue that is very relevant to the 20, 30-year-olds. You know, they're the ones fighting. That, that civil rights movement has been fought many times, but it's mm. now in the hands of younger millennials with mm. iPhones. So that drew a, a youthful audience. They are interested in that story. So by choosing that as a subject. So there we have a, what, an, an hour and a bit. That was an hour. Toko about, um, well, you know, put it crudely, rising from a hashtag. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. What, uh, could you just tell us a little bit about the experience of making making that film and how um, how you used the, the long form and short form differently? Uh, Arriving on the south side of Chicago with, with three Australians walking into like some fairly interesting neighbourhoods was um, was rather curious for the locals. But you know, I think we we came in without, uh, uh, you know, we're not American. We were looking at it from an outside outsider's perspective. We were welcomed in. Um, you know, it was a very tricky neighbourhoods in many ways. It's extremely violent. Um, but look, people wanted to share that story because they felt they trusted us. And I think that's a very important part of political documentary making. I mean, your, your relationship with Pauline must be rather peculiar, you know, but whatever our role is, whether we're in a South Sudanese refugee camp or in the, in the community in Chicago or in Washington, D.C., interviewing a senator about those issues, I mean, there is a, it's just a very big part of it. There's no camera involved. It's actually just developing the rapport, the relationship. You are asking people to open up about extremely challenging um, and, and, and issues that are close to the heart and the, and the mind. Um, 
filming that was a real sense of you know America what it's really it is really fractured and there's a lot of trauma and I can see how off the back of, of filming something like that a year ago that the, the Trump phenomena has grown and you know they're it, they all play into each other um, curiously one of the young lads there he the photographer who talks he was up there uh, he, he that this is the way social media has been played with political documentary he, he's from Baltimore he was there with the riots after Freddie Gray died uh, he was just taking photos on his on his phone, putting them on Instagram. Time magazine picked up that one of his images and ran it as the front cover, um, which went on to become you know he's now one of the most influential African American photographers in the country. But you know it was just it was an interesting that whole story has been laced with social media ele- elements from its birth and continues to be. And that's I guess with political documentary, the presence of social media, the relentlessness of it does can keep that conversation. Going a lot longer than when it was once screened on television, was on iView for a couple of weeks and then just yeah. disappeared. Matt, can I um, just ask you something? The nature of social media, obviously, it's global, so anyone can kind of yeah. weigh in on this. And so, it's interesting that you guys took this subject up um, as Australian filmmakers going into America. Can you talk a little bit about what role Sally Sarah played in this as yeah. as reporter and how that would have been different? Because we saw. Um, a clip this morning from Ava DuVernay's 13th film and, you know, similar subject matter. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, look, we are in the current first space and traditionally it has, it's, it, it's a, it's, you know, the program is foreign correspondent and it does have a reporter leading the um, the, the narrative. Uh, I think in the future there are there are opportunities and we're com- constantly asking questions about this, about how to do that maybe differently. Sometimes it, it is curious if you haven't seen 13th, if you haven't seen this one, watch this one first, then watch 13th. You'll notice there's quite a bit of talent that we share. We did it first. Um, uh, the, uh, but it's an amazing film. But that's the beauty of, I think, uh, a feature doc. There is the time and the resources, not necessarily highly budgeted for, but the time is able to get the talent without the reporter. The reporter in some ways in my role is very useful at times because we're on an extremely tight turnaround. We might have eight weeks to go and make a one-hour program um, that is filming it, editing it and putting it together. So the reporter role in that space does can help connect the dots. Looking ahead perhaps with the younger generations, maybe some of that um, structure is, is open for renegotiation just because young ones are able to consume it slightly differently. They didn't grow up with George Negus on the television um, yeah. in a pineapple shirt, but, you know. I, I just uh, want to dive in on what you said before, like uh, do microducts that are lifted from our films hmm. act as kind of accidental trailers? Um, and, in fact, they do, and in, I think we're a lot, as long-form political doco makers, I think we're in a much more exciting position in terms of reaching broader audiences than the more conventional Michael Moore was back in 2001 with Fahrenheit. Um, The microdoc is an art form in its own right, and to me it's very exciting. Uh, For our Pauline Hanson film, I worked with SBS Online, we came up with ten kind of mini-docs, not necessarily drawn from the film, or everything from what kind of clothes does Hanson like compared to Pants Down and the fact that they found their outfits at the same budget discount Delina store, to um, a clip that was lifted from the film that went viral in a way that I as a filmmaker could not have possibly dreamed. It reached within three days 1.8 million viewers and um, it kind of 
Well, it excited me because one, it was reaching a new audience, a younger audience that perhaps didn't have time or, or the habit of engaging with long-form political doc, hadn't been raised on it. Um, but two, it encapsulated everything that, was, that we find wrong and troubling about Hansen in the same way that paintings used to tell a thousand words compared to the book, microdocs do that for the long-form doc. I think that they can coexist, but mm. they're radically different. One's a poem, one's a novel. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's that's what was exciting. If there's a way of then using those 1.8 million suddenly engaged viewers to either kickstart a new kind of deba debate that you as the filmmaker hadn't even imagined was possible or encourage them to then log on and watch your film, that mm. can only be a great thing. <laughs> I don't want to get too semantic about it, but yeah, in a sense, that's a microdoc. It's a it's a clip that encapsulates a whole lot of things incredibly quickly, and is almost it almost works as a metaphor for what what Hansen represents, which is this profound ignorance, this tendency to generalise, and the fact that the person that's norm normally not put on the mainstream airwaves is right there with her. And we're rooting for him. And what was interesting to me about that clip was not just a sort of arty, farty interest that I might have as a filmmaker, but that clip was the one thing that actually did get Hansen offside. So that had gone viral, um, you know, by 24 hours before we were meant to go to air on Sunday night. And Hansen and Ashby, James Slippergate Ashby, her helicopter driving come political advisor dude, you'd know all about Ashby, um, they were worried because what they were seeing on their comments phase, phase, um, page and their avid users of Facebook, in fact, Facebook is how Hansen got in, um, they were seeing their supporters writing in saying, Pauline, you can't say that. We're withdrawing our support. We don't like One Nation. So it was the first time that we'd achieved something we wanted to achieve with the longer form, which is persuade people to think about Pauline again. So they rang us. Um, it was uh, 8 p.m. on a Saturday night. We'd all had a few wines. Ashby rings and says, pull that clip or something very, very nasty will happen. And <laughs> I thought nothing of it, but I thought I'd better ring Joseph Maxwell. Our Get your travel editor. notes immediately. Exactly. And destroy I mean, them. <laughs> just remember what Ashby's got yeah. a track record yeah, of absolutely. doing. Yeah, I mean, he, makes you know, a nasty threat, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and Joseph immediately rang the lawyers because he decided to, to treat it as it possibly was a serious threat. And the top defamation lawyer, I think it's Tom Blackburn QC, came back and said, um, they're right, it is defamatory. Hansen's defaming herself, leave it up. <laughs> Has she taken action against herself? No, oh, no. no. Um, she probably would, though. Nicola, do you, I, I I'm, I'm to interested to, to ask, firstly, yeah, whether... Do, I got the impression that you think that that's not a micro-doc, and mm. please give us your comments on um, the issue more generally. Look, I think there... I mean, Anna said it herself, there has been a tendency for long-form filmmakers and broadcasters to clip and then put sort of segments of the film out as teasers or trailers in advance. And I think that certainly, you know, uh, serves a particular purpose, but it's promo. The intent is to ultimately draw eyeballs back into the main broadcast. Uh, and even though you say, Anna, now that that clip and its virality reaching 1.5 million was satisfying in itself, one of the things that we have kind of grappled with and we've talked about is this idea of what constitutes documentary in terms of context. So you had two lines exchanged in that clip and I think the virality probably came out of the fact that people were hate sharing it. Um, we have an algorithm at 
BuzzFeed that we look at in terms of engagement, and we look less at number of viewers and more at uh, number of shares, how many people are actually putting it out further into the world, uh, either in support or in opposition. Um, and that one line or two lines from Hanson proved to Left Wing Australia everything that they thought they knew about her. But isn't and the intent, intent of your documentary was to offer more than that. Is that not right? Um, well, or did you just I mean, want to prove I, I, that first of all, I don't think it was attitude? I don't think it was hate sharing um, necessarily because if it was just hate sharing, then one of the the lines in the film that never went viral, for example, I believe we're being swamped by Asians, or when she slams Muslim people, that would have been more likely to be shared if the only agenda in sharing that clip was a left wing one to show how evil she is. I suspect that that clip unlike all the other clips we uploaded, went viral, perhaps because, and it's coming back to what BuzzFeed does so well, it used humour to get to the bottom of a very um, potentially ugly and fraught issue. And so it was a piece of entertainment as well as a, a provocative clip. I mean, we, obviously, when we filmed it, we knew it was gold, but we had no idea that that's what would cut through. So I'm really interesting, interested to hear that, that left-wing has shared it, but it's quite clear from Hanson and Ashby's reaction that a lot of One Nation supporters did too. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so um, perhaps, can we throw to one of my clips? Sure, yeah. I just no, wanted I... to um, show uh, the first excerpt on... Is it... So this is the Australia Day the one? Australia Day. So just clip number the first, two. Yeah, yeah, first excerpt. Yeah, just the first. Um, and just if a little bit of context before we start. Um, it had the same kind of reach as Anna's viral clip. Um, no humour involved. Uh, similar kind of topic, but we were trying to uh, switch the lens around and provide an alternative perspective. So this went out just before Australia Day 2016 um, and won a Mumbrella Award last year. Um, so that was just a really short excerpt of a three-minute uh, video that was made by Tanya Safi. Um, and I, th I wanted to just unpack that a little bit because that, when that video went out into social media, it received a huge volume of nasty, there was hate horrible... Shit. Yeah, there was, yeah. Oh, which is an surprised. interesting... And it yeah. goes back to what we were talking about earlier of how do we open up a, a space for civic conversation? And we're trying to do it by you know, telling other people's perspectives, putting stories out that are rarely heard in mainstream media. Um, but we're getting a barrage back at us every mm. single day or every single time we do a video like that. So, but so we keep going. So do you think then that the purpose of um, creating a space for there to be a certain type of conversation, is that actually working? I think it is. I mean, Matt said earlier, if you keep going documentaries can have impact if if we would talk about the standing rock and I'm going to keep banging on about this because for me it was a really formative moment to see First Nations people and their politics and their causes um, covered in a really robust and deep way by the American media um, and actually finally get up into CNN when one of their anchors sort of had a, a bit of a, a rant on air um, saying it's about time we heard these stories um, and it was a, you know, a way for the world to have uh, a look at how First Nations people in America are surviving. But mostly it was just that change of language around how they talked about the land and their political struggle. 
And the one thing that really encapsulated it for me was um, an interview that one of our video producers did with a young woman where they were just being uh, accused of being protesters and her response to that was, no, I'm a water protector. And then all of a sudden that shifted the conversation and, you know, it snowballed from there. And we ended, BuzzFeed ended up doing over three months, I think, um, 15 different short videos. Um, Some of them were news some of them were saw more mini docs. This is BuzzFeed um, Australia or BuzzFeed Buzz, International? All of it. Um, right. So BuzzFeed US did the bulk of it. Uh, but what happened, uh, we saw, I don't know if you'll remember, a check-in um, function on Facebook where people, you know, very casually were able to support the protest by checking into um, the reservation or Dakota on Facebook. And it was a way to apparently try and distract um, Uh, police uh, who were tracking people. Anyway, that was beside the point. Um, What we saw was uh, a show of support from First Nations people in New Zealand. There was Ngāti who did a um, a beautiful moving haka on the beach in Gisborne and that was filmed. Um, Joe Williams, who's um, an Indigenous guy from, uh, he lives out in Dubbo now. Uh, He was a footy player and a boxer. He actually travelled over there with messages of support from uh, Aboriginal Australians. So there was a groundswell, and I, I don't recall having seen that before, and so we tried to capture it. Matt, do you, um, do you agree that micro-docs or these short-form grabs can, um, are, are the most effective way of raising that consciousness? And, uh, or, or is it just a way, I mean, like, does it lead people simply to longer form content? Is that the purpose of it? Uh, well, it's, it's both. It is both. Um, one one thing I'm, I've been grappling with in my mid-range length uh, political documentary... Get off the mid- fence, Matt. Yeah, Come on. Fence to hit, <laughs> ...is actually how to find the audience. So where where is the audience? And are we able to just rely on the phone or on the broadcast? There mm. is a new phenomenon of, obviously, the idea that we should take content to people and, and find... I almost identify the audience sometimes before you shoot the film. That's I sort of guess Freedom Riders, the, a story I did on trauma therapy through surfing in Cape Town, South Africa last year, was a curious experiment where we distributed that internationally on a digital. It was a bit of an ABC kind of first, perhaps, um, for current affairs. It went out digital. It also was broadcast on our regular time slot, so it had its traditional audience. But in sending it out digitally, it was picked up, and this was the experiment that we did by third parties who saw value in that and they uh, other media organizations the new yorker and others like this we'd spoken with they were hosting it on their site the world Sur- because it was a surfing related story i identified you know and mick fanning at the time was returning to jeffrey's bay where he'd been attacked by the shark the year before it was a very big popular moment and that that industry latched onto this story we were telling which is a political documentary about young South Africans whose parents weren't allowed on the beach because of apartheid, learning to surf and dealing with various violence and drug-related traumas that they were encountering in their townships. So that surfing body actually took that and ran that. So we were actually distributing this story outside of the traditional ABC's um, push, that is iView and broadcast, and the results are astounding. It actually went, it just continues, continues to this day, people from Brazil write to inquire about showing it and hosting it. And we were able to, those analytics, of course, were owned by us. That all came back to us, and I don't know the numbers on the top of my head, but my digital producer would know. But basically, it was, it was an idea that can uh, sort of a quasi-long form with short form elements that are, that were pushing towards it actually generate a broader audience than just here in Australia. Now, 
before everyone jumps on me and says, well, how do you monetize it? I'm in the position where it's, it's a public broadcaster and that money was telling a good story and it was, uh, it was pushing the ABC as a content, you know, as a current affairs machine, able to do stories internationally with the best of them. Um, so I think that was really th- that idea of going out to the audience, taking it to the audience. We were rewarded for that, and that is, uh, I guess, it's an almost it's a blend of what you know, what how BuzzFeed go out to their audience and how Anna's film with release and how they how we are coming into a time in 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 platform land where it's really interesting. But at the end of the day, the point of doing political documentary is that as many people see it as possible, and and that that this course of conversation evolves and. That was just one example of something that we, we've been able to experiment with, and yeah. Do you, do you want to play that clip? Uh, sure, it's just the opening little yeah. bit. But let's let's play clip five. It, and it brought people in as well, because we actually put a lot of emphasis into the cinematography for this one. Important. It's my favorite place. Being in the water, it makes me feel free. If you've got stress, the water can make you feel better. Catching wave, it gives you something strong. The next day, there's something big is gonna happen. Your dreams are gonna come true. Nineteen-year-old Nonnetto Mabunu every day is a mission to stay positive. I'm a strong woman, and I'm glad that I'm a strong woman because I don't give up easy in a lot of things. Her love of surfing helps to guide her through. The township of Massey Pumalele is full of dangers and disappointments. We've got gangsterism, drugs, alcohol abuse, teenage pregnancy. That's the opening lead in. So, you, you know, we follow that young lady and she's got some extremely traumatic tales that are unfold. Um, but, again, that the way it was shot and the style and the identifying our audience, it actually did just really pop out there in the, in, in the world, which, which is, yeah. I, I want to come back to the, se- to the question of form in a second, but I just do want to be true to my promise to open it up to questions. Um, so is there anyone who would like to ask a question at this point? Um, if you do, just let us know and we'll get a microphone to you. And if there isn't, um, I am very happy to say that there's a, still a ton of stuff I, we can talk about here. Yes, okay. Madam, up, 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 up there. Isn't the other thing in this post-truth world, though, also the amount of scrutiny that makers are now under? I mean, everybody, everybody can make a film virtually on their microphone, so it's more than just the content and the platforms. It's the... Um, I'm just throwing it out there. Oh, well, God, yeah, scrutiny. I mean, uh, not just by hostile forces who don't like the message you're promoting, but also within the organisations you're making your political film for. for not, so not just on Pauline Hanson, but on my last one more so, which was actually... Uh, trying to humanise North Korean propaganda filmmakers, I found myself in uh, flaws at the SBS and ABC that I didn't know existed. They were kind of like being inside a labyrinth in the tax department where strange people emerged called fact-checkers. 
And I had to sit there for 10 hours at a time going through every single source and corroborating it. Now, that's fantastic. I mean, that's what great journalists mm. should do. But it struck me as... I mean, that's never happened before. This is, this is, uh, this, these, these were not the first times I'd made contentious films. And it struck me that um, we're in a, we're in a, our public broadcasters are, are under threat and threatened. And they were nervous and understandably. And the government is holding, and I'm just going to, you guys leap in here, but it feels to me like um, they are operating under threat of having their funding removed if they put forward messages that the current government doesn't like. Anna, can I jump in on yeah. that as well? I think one of the, um, perhaps to your question, but also to follow on from that point, I think TV news bulletins are increasingly under uh, pressure, mm. um, not only because the audiences are shrinking, we, we know that, uh, but because everyone is questioning whether whatever is going out on the news bulletin is accurate or not. And I think there is an even greater role to play for documentary makers, like with Foreign Correspondent, to dig in a little bit more and to provide a lot more depth, which, you know, admittedly, we don't do in BuzzFeed. Our clips are very short. Mm. I mean, and we can't do it. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, we seem to be saying that that's a bad thing, but or implying that, but it, it's not, is it? Isn't, isn't it just about... Isn't there just much more scrutiny of accuracy and, and facts well, what, what, now? Because I, I must say, I, I yeah. do think that that is the case. It's and, and people get caught up on it more, but that's because errors have got through in the past, in my view. Mm. Maybe. But when the ABC is attacked for um, having a green agenda because they're critical of coal-fired power plants. I mean, this is where the scrutiny to me is intensely well, political that's a, I mean, and that, worrying. That, that, that's... That, that's Definitely a, f a factor, but I think a different thing. And I think the, oh, I mean, the ABC's done a pretty good job of working out how to how to draw that line. But well, what I, do you I think? was just going to actually say more. Um, all of politics aside, the actual reality of filming now on the ground in a lot of places, maybe not so much in Australia, but in the past six months alone, I mean, I've been, I've been fortunate to shoot in um, Turkey and Venezuela and South Sudan and lots of uh, very curious places where stories need to be told and that's what traditionally, that's where you get a lot of this great political documentary from. But journalists are actually now, and filmmakers are increasingly physically threatened, whether mm. that's with imprisonment right. or physical assault or in the cases of many um, deaths. So stepping into the arena of political documentary does come if you depending on which way you cut it i mean there are stories to be told about coal-fired plants in australia which are equally important but there are also those i'm sure there are some in the room here who would are interested or do that for their living and it is you know it's it's tricky we it's um it's a really difficult environment and that's governments around the world are clamping down on that every day it's, out, mm. it's getting out of control to be honest so matt do you think they'll get to a point where it will be too risky for you uh, yeah, you do. there does come a point where things get to a point where you really just got to get out of there. This is actually probably where the phone and the, and the short form formats are going to become increasingly important in getting messages out of oppressive states. Mm. They aren't just North Korea. These are places that you were backpacking in six months ago, but just in recent times yeah. mm. have radically uh, enhanced their security uh, or intimidation of journalists, media, filmmakers and bloggers. Mm. So um, there's a question over here if we could bring the, um, uh, uh, the mic down this way. Or was it, or is that the hands gone? No, it's still, yeah. Okay, if we could just um, come over. Oh, um, Okay, yeah, okay, we'll go this one here and then over to yeah. later on. Uh, so I think who's, we've got two now. We're going we're gonna to go here first and then I'll go to you, madam. So 
Hi. That's right. No, we heard. Yep. yep. Okay. I, I, mean, I think there's a really big distinction to be made between news and current affairs, which is meant to be objective um, filmmaking and meant to be showing different sides and, and between the feature-length political documentary made by the likes of D.A. Pennybaker, Kim Longinotto, Sean McAllister, where there's a real polemic going on and they are taking a side, which is what you were talking about, Anna. Um, and, and, and there's a big distinction and, you know, I think it's important to make that distinction because that's what the broadcasters are there for and that's, you know, there's another forum for those long form and, and a lot of those filmmakers okay. who have made, I think, some of the best political documentaries going way back are um, they're, they're kind of they've got a lifetime commitment to politics and to getting a story out there. Mandy, so, so, Mandy uh, can uh, I ask uh, you when was probably what's the most recent film you've seen in that model with a polemic? Um, well, it, I mean, it's really interesting because the Wiener film was made by the guy's campaign manager. He was at one point the guy's campaign manager, and I saw him at Sheffield. And because I sat there watching that doco, thinking, how the fuck did he get the access to that guy and how did that guy I mean he's a bit of an idiot as well but but also it's because he had a really close relationship with him and that is where the model has changed the kinds of people who are making these films and we're all in the game and you know I think the most interesting okay. political documentary but I also wonder yeah, yeah. yeah. no, well, no, we, we just got to make sure that everyone has a, a, a the chance to have it where okay. hunters have their mo you know are making are, are having documentaries where they're where it's a whole lot of mobile phones and the documentary is made up of a whole lot of people's records of events, you know, like the sinking of that yeah. Italian boat. Okay, so can I ask the panel, do you agree that there is, and there needs to be this firm distinction between news and current affairs, which doesn't have a perspective, and then that longer form well, is allowed to have it? I, I, I imagine, I, I, Anna, you wouldn't. Absolutely. I mean, long form political documentary and long form documentary tends to be made by filmmakers with a very strong message that they want to communicate and tools that they use to communicate it. You need to sustain an audience's engagement, for one. Um, but I think where the meeting point here is, is that although we're all involved in different forms of factual, we are all intent on reaching broad audiences. And what I'm fascinated by in watching the clips that have been shown is that all of us um, and all of the clips and the people behind them are using similar tools, persuasive mm. tools. They're using humour, they're using beauty, they're using music, they're using vernacular, they're using authenticity. These are all things that have helped these smaller docs go viral. It's not just because you know, certain voices we've never heard from before are up there. It's also the filmmaking that make these films work for audiences and why some tend to be picked up and some don't because ultimately it's still about entertainment. So, um, yes, of course, political doco, if you want to do it well, you need to know your subject backwards. Um, but, yeah, anyway, that's, yeah. yeah. Can I, can I jump in? Yep, yeah, and then I, I just want to hear from Matt as well. But, but um, it might be foolish to pick a fight with Mandy on documentaries. Um, she knows quite a bit about them. But I, I am curious as to whether the lines are blurring around definitions of documentary because, you know, Penny Baker, sure, extraordinary filmmaker, but we've got new technology now, we've got new platforms, our audiences are demanding new forms and styles of storytelling from us. 
And I, I'm, I don't see as clear a distinction between documentary and the type of work that Matt is doing today as perhaps there was 15 years ago. I don't think there is either, yeah. I think the tools are similar now. I think everyone's being driven by similar things. I guess it is, it's in, absolutely, Manny, like it is, there's a complete distinction, but I think what we're seeing with um, is aspiration of documentary aesthetic, perhaps, like there's a, you know, current affairs has evolved and continues to evolve in its look and feel, but all, all of our stories are still in that classic current affairs model where we're not able to be just with Pauline Hansen on her journey. There is for every side... Sorry, for every story, there's always both of those sides. So, And we are covering them in depth. It's just that, yeah, me personally and, and other colleagues and contemporaries of mine are trying to push the fold in terms of its look and feel um, because I feel that younger audiences are just so much more um, uh, conversational in filmmaking and general aesthetics now. Like, it's not so... You can't just put the person up and talk talking heads as much anymore. So I guess that's where some of that confusion is. But there's no... Nowhere in my mind is there a confusion that I'm that we're making a documentary like what Anna has made. Mm -hmm. It's. Um, I think whoever's got the microphone up there. Yes. Yeah, Hi. if you've got a microphone in your hand, you're the one to talk now. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I am an Indigenous filmmaker from the Americas. I'm Bolivian. I also have an Australian passport. I'm Inca descendant, and I don't agree. And I think it's a very dangerous path to say that documentaries, political documentaries, are a propaganda tool because I believe with all my heart that everything that I do is very political, yet I do not have the answers and I'm not making propaganda for a government. I am exploring a truth and telling stories of people that, that I believe in their fights. Uh, I don't think they're perfect, and I think complexity is something that we have to discuss, but I, I will be very dangerous path to call political documentary propaganda. I think that there is a wrong word, uh, a wrong connotation to political. We are all political beings. It's my human right to be political today as an indigenous filmmaker. And I think that there is a confusion all over the world. I just came back from shooting a film in Bolivia for The Guardian, a short. Uh, called the fight, and they were trying to scare us, calling us political. They're trying to scare the government, uh, calling everyone political. And, and by calling you political, it's like they're trying to undermine your argument because you shouldn't be involved in politics, and I think that's wrong. Mm. So I think that it's very dangerous to call political documentaries a propaganda tool. It's even more dangerous mm. because we don't have an agenda. Our agenda is to push the story that we've seen and the truth at that moment in time. Yeah, I, look, I completely agree. The word propaganda was a provo provocation yeah. at the beginning of this discussion and I was using it in a very old-fashioned sense in that it is a tool to manipulate or persuade. Um, but absolutely, uh, I agree. Yeah. Man. I think it's the, if you go backwards, actually, it'll probably be quicker. The old <laughs> shortest distance between just two points. Just, just a quick hook. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm also worried what you just said, that political's a dirty word, that people use you are political as a way of putting you down. That's really interesting mm. and, and worrying. As if anyone who is not a politician hasn't a right to be political. And when you were saying your only agenda is to put out the truth... 
your truth is seen as political because it contradicts that that agenda you just said, which is run by a minority. Yeah, just on a longer, sort of similar line, but in a, on a local, on a national scale, we I made a documentary last year that was a political documentary following a character in a, an election race, um, and we had. The, op- the opposition, the person who was running against him, didn't want to participate. In fact, as first-time filmmakers for ABC, got you know legal letters and things that were quite intimidating. So, was, I, I wanted to ask the panel their experience because going back to um, a discussion before, there were some of the news um, media um, that we were trying to get help from to help tell the story because it was you know we were kind of getting blocked at a few angles to try to make a balanced documentary. And um, now, since then, the, uh, the, the newspaper that did um, uh, cooperate with us and help us tell our story by um, allowing us access to just, you know, film certain aspects, uh, they are now owned by just one media conglomerate in that state. So, um, yeah, just what do you, how do you guys keep pushing through against, like, when you do feel intimidated? Because essentially the buck stops with the filmmaker, but ABC is very supportive, etc. Yeah, just looking for that, that I admire the bravery you guys must go year after year or this kind of thing. So, yeah. Can we have a, a comment from you guys about responding to threats and pressure? Oh, look, I have, I don't encounter it so much in the Australian space. I mean, I have spent a lot of my career working in the Australian space, but not not so much as extreme as some of the recent work I've done. Yeah, I mean, look, there is... Hmm, I just play by... I normally am travelling in a group of three and we play by our little rule of thirds. If one person feels like something's really not fitting, doesn't feel right, we, I'm more than happy to pull, pull out, pull back, just change the way we're, about to, we're trying to capture it. I mean, that's kind of an extreme example, or perhaps, but that's that's... That's the reality. For in, when working in other spaces, I'm a Australian passport holder, so I have certain rights when I'm in another place. If I cross a line, I'd, I'd rather, I don't even think about the other side of what happens. So for me, it's just a more about you know common sense and making sure safety is a, is a thing in terms of threats. My threats are more so physical than they are um, defamation letters and things that perhaps you've, you encounter. My, my only thing would be is if you believe in what you're trying to say, you'll find a way through, um, but it's hard. And you have to find a way through that will take the gatekeepers with you because you can't do it without them. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a really interesting discussion out there to be had about who the gatekeepers are and are they the right gatekeepers as well. And that applies to all sorts of minorities. Um, yeah. Nicola, has uh, BuzzFeed ever got political pressure to remove a story? Uh, yes, and what, a lot. And, and, and have you, has, like, are, are there a, a range of responses an, to that? We have editorial policies uh, that very clearly stipulate that we don't remove a story, full stop, unle- unless it's uh, contempt, of, contempt of court. Um, that's been the only example where um, a story was published uh, whilst the Which court case that? was going on. Which one? Yeah. Um, I can't remember. That's right. right. Yeah, eighteen yeah. months ago. Okay, yeah. um, but but obviously the most um, recent example for us uh, was actually out of the US. Um, our global editor in chief Ben Smith made a decision to publish quite a controversial piece of intelligence, uh, and it wasn't a decision taken lightly. It pushed um, pushed the boundaries, I think, of of 
uh, contemporary journalism quite a lot and we certainly didn't have a lot of allies in, in doing that. The, it was publishing a dossier on Trump and his Russian connections, alleged Russian connections. Um, it's still there, it wasn't removed despite all the pressures. But what I would say to that is that we had someone at the top and he had the support of our CEO and president. Um, and when you have that level of engagement at the very top of your organization, it makes it easier to do the risky things. Uh, so that doesn't help you necessarily, but um, that's, that's how it came about for us. Um, I'm, I can't believe that, unfortunately I have to say this, that, that that's is all the time that we have. Um, but I do think that note of the importance of, you know, benevolent uh, proprietors and, and good lawyers is not a bad one to, uh, to end on because God knows you need them. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, can you please thank our panellists today, Matt. Anna, of course. And, and, and also, can we thank... Um, Screen New South Wales and AIDC for everything that they've, um, they've done in this session. And uh, of course, if you wanted to come around and chat to, to anyone uh, now, you're more than welcome to, as long as you have a lawyer with you mm -hmm. at all oh, times. Absolutely. Can I just also say thanks to Linda? Thank yes, thanks for the yeah, huge amount of preparation, thank you, Linda. Linda. That was and Screen New South Wales for uh, making this thank happen. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. And thanks, Nicola, of course, as well. Great. Thanks, everyone. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.